You guys, it's finally here. I am so excited to announce that the Patreon is live. It's called In the Windowsill, and you can find the link in my bio if you happen to be there, or go to www.patreon.com backslash in the windowsill. I would love to have you check it out. There's an about video there. You can look at and understand the tiers. You can get this podcast early. You can get creative prompts and a lot more information from me, all sorts of good things. A live once a month where we create together and you have an opportunity to ask questions, all sorts of treats for you. And I just want to say thank you so much. I'm doing this because you guys asked for it. You gave me so much awesome feedback when I asked for it and I created it for you. So go check it out. Patreon.com in the windowsill. Thanks so much for your support and for being here right now. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, and how to get your work noticed and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you as well as a few of my own and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee, maybe your paint water, a glass of wine, and join me over in my sunny windowsill. friends. I am so glad you're here with me today in the windowsill. My goodness, do I have a treat for you. If you have joined me before, I'm so glad you're here. And if this is your first time finding your way to windowsill chats, well, I welcome you. This is a good place to start for sure. Today, I have a really wonderful guest. Every once in a while, I'll get an email that says, I've been listening to your podcast and here is some things that I'd like you to think about and maybe we could chat. And this one, I, I didn't need to hesitate. I thought, oh my goodness, yes. And then as I dug in a little further, I thought, oh my goodness, yes, again. And I think I want to be your friend. So Mijan Sili Thobayez is my guest today. And I couldn't be more thrilled to have this conversation with her. Mijan is... Just a wise, wise spirit that I'm happy to inhabit the earth with at the same time, if I might be so bold. She is a cultural leader, an oral historian, and documentarian who shares narratives of personal transformation and community change. Just let that sink in for a minute. That's a big, beautiful thing to do. Mijan works with communities across the themes of sovereignty, transformation, liberation, healing, and love. 
To say this historian's own history is distinguished is an understatement. Mijan curated and hosted Unfinished Network's first 2022 public salon on the theme of multiracial democracy. With CNN's Van Jones and MSNBC's Maria Teresa Kumar, she also designed and led the Gloria Steinem Initiative's public policy digital storytelling pilot at Smith College and served as a New Mexico Humanities Council scholar. Mijan lives in Santa Fe, which is the ancestral Tiwa homelands, and I just love that she has a deep family history there. Mijan has held visiting scholar appointments at Columbia University and New York University and served as faculty in the Cultural Leadership Program at the Banff Center in Canada. Currently, Mijan serves as faculty with Omega Institute, co-host for the National Art Education Association's podcast, as well as principal oral historian and public art curator for Policy Links California BIPOC Liberation Stories Project. So many interesting things to talk about, as you can tell. Mijan is best known for connecting with audiences through her visionary, story-rich talks at a range of institutions from Carnegie Hall to the Institute of American Indian Arts to South by Southwest. Her goal? To make the historical, contemporary, and personal while surfacing the marginalized stories that need to be heard. I also did a little digging in Mijan's Instagram and websites and things like that. There's all sorts of great other interviews to listen to if you want to and and lots more to read about her. But I hope she doesn't mind if I share this because it is on her public page. But recently she lost a beloved aunt, her Aunt Nancy. And there's just a really beautiful quote from her Aunt Nancy. They used to write what Mijan calls love letters back and forth. And I quote, I love your quiet way that has led you to inwardly express a true value of what is so necessary in the world that is different from many of us that are suffering. We all have a story and yours is one to tell and to be proud to let people know what it means to have risen through love. So I don't want to keep you from this wonderful conversation any longer. Here is Mijan Sili Thobayez. Thank you, Mijan, for being here today. I was just really pleased that you reached out and as I said, when I sort of started learning more, I just thought, oh, person I really like already. So thanks. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Margot. I am so excited. I've been anticipating eagerly and also nervously. I'm not going to lie, like being on this side of the mic, however, more excited than nervous. So thank you. Oh, good. Well, you seem to be one of those people that is willing to to dive in, you know, to life. <laughs> yes, this is correct. This is correct. My running joke is like, I'm a new person every year. <laughs> Why not? Right. I think it's much more interesting than if you're not right. Because yeah. I, I feel like certainly pandemic wise, we could we could recreate. But I found myself just sort of like being more of a lump. So I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> done lumping. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> you are just, you're an oral historian. You're a cultural, vibrant cultural worker and explorer. And I would just love to know how these passions bubbled up in you and, and how how it is that you find yourself describing yourself in these ways. You know, well, so the I actually, I interviewed maybe two or three years ago, a prolific, amazing 
um, and I think that she still describes herself as an interdisciplinary artist, Alicia Wormsley. She mm. is the creator of the project. There are black people in the future, mm. all those billboards that folks saw, um, I think in 2022, 2021, etc. And I loved in the interview, I was asking her the same question. I'm like, how do you self-identify? Is it as a creative, a cultural worker, you know? an artist with a social practice, like what? There's so many different terms and words. And she was like, oh, you know, you could use them. They change every year. <laughs> and <laughs> I was year. like, I'm like, wow, finally someone else to say the thing that I believe though that said, the one term that has migrated with me more than 10 years, probably like 15 is cultural worker. And I think it's because when I was um, researching for my doc degree in multi international multicultural education, I was researching cultural workers, cultural leaders who use cultural work as a tool for social change in education. Like they, mm -hmm. they do it formally and informally. And I was like, yeah, there's something about inheriting one's practice through one's lineage of their family, their community, as opposed to, or I don't actually, that might not be the way I want to say that, mm. separate from folks who go to study in an academic or a formal mainstream environment. Big difference. Um yeah, it's like it's coming. It's 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 part of a timeline of people who you're connected to. Could be bio family, could be chosen family. However, it's not about parachuting in, right. extracting quote unquote knowledge or wisdom, and and weaving that into a practice. As lovely as that might be, um, or may not be, I don't know. Right. Uh, I just come by it from my family. I always say I come from a family of story people. Mm. Both of my parents were mainstream media producers back in the late 70s through 80s through early 90s. Um, my grandmother, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, in the United States, and she was a public librarian. And she would give me these out of circulation books mm. from the library. And so I, 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 I just grew up loving stories. I grew up in a family that would invite cultural workers to the home for our, you know, family, yeah, celebrations around holidays. And they would be traveling musicians, traveling dancers. And it was I, I recognize now it was like the precursor to my love affair with artist residencies, mm. very social relationship driven artist residencies, because they feel identical to me, to tell you the truth. It's mm -hmm. like there is a master chef, like my mom, basically, right. you know, making all these delicious new things and music dripping everywhere and sheet music here and ceramicists there and dancers and it's just lovely. It's a lovely way to be. It's a lovely way to move through the world. And it was a lovely way for me to come up as a culture, as a budding cultural worker. Oh, I love that. I, it sounds like sort of an ongoing 
modern salon, you know, where everybody's welcome, Mm -hmm. but we're really intrigued with your story, especially if you're potentially not mainstream because neither are we, you know, we're, we're interested in what lights you up and what creative thing you're attracted to and what you think about it and what you might tell us about it. Sounds like it was a big, delicious, you know, buffet. It was, it really was. I mean, that's one of my favorite memories of childhood, to be honest, is just how, um, how I, I guess maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously, my parents gave me that kind of uh, care Mm. for the arts and cultural work through the experience of living and relationship building with these, with a variety, a cast of characters, basically, you know, who would come through our home and, um, and the ones who were planted in Chicago, who had practices that had studios, I was always welcome. I went Mm. to my dad's film school. I remember that I, studied at Joseph Holmes dance company before I studied at Chicago city ballet with, um, I think she may have been the first native American prima ballerina, Maria tall chief. I mean, it just, it was an exquisite way to grow up that normalized cultural work as an everyday, as well as punctuated the celebrations of life. Mm, I love that punctuated the celebrations of life. That's, there's a lot in there. Did you, (laughs) I have two questions. How, how would you define cultural work? I used to I know that's a big, long one. Yeah, it's a big one. I used to say that it was, again, the lineage, artistic and creative expressions of BIPOC people. Now I'm starting to understand it a bit differently. Um, and I'm, I, yes, I have a body of research and practice around it. However, I would not say that I am the only expert, the definitive expert, the beginning or the end of that conversation, just from my experience and um, research, it is the people who have inherited creative practices that are rooted in lineages that they've inherited and are also committed to contemporizing Mm. Mm. in general for social change, in general for cultural heritage preservation. Mm -hmm. Mm. Do you have five hours? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. This just gets me so happy. I mean, so, I mean, happy is one word, but it, it just is so this, this, th- these threads are the things that are so important and have been, I feel like we're in a time where we know these threads have been lost and, and, and we've, you know, not so much me because I can't claim I have my own cultural, but I, I think my threads haven't been lost as much as BIPOC threads have been, have been squashed and then like, oh, to fit in, I'm not going to show that I know this or carry this tradition on, but what, and I get goosebumps over this. We're at a time where it's like, no, yes, we want that. We want to know, please bring this forward. What can you, um, learn from your elders or did you learn going forward? I love, 
seeing, you know, like the jingle dress project and that like a little tiny girl just learning and, and everybody like embracing that or whatever that might be. And I and I think what you said early on in the beginning of you can drop in and learn it, which is great and admirable and more people should. But if you have the if it's in you already, it comes from a whole a whole different place. And and to honor that and for you to have come from a place where it was obviously embraced too, creativity was embraced. I mean, often just to pick a topic, creativity is often not embraced. Well, I, you know, with that, I have to say, I've got to give it up to my dad because he is a hyper creative genius. Mm. And um, I think it would have been impossible <laughs> to come from his home without a minimum of an appreciation. Both of my brothers, I have two older brothers, they love music. My oldest brother was a chef for many years at a prominent restaurant. Um, and then I just happened, yeah, I don't know how that, yeah, actually, I'm not quite sure other than I was the one who wound up always in the recording studios with both of my parents. Like my mom was radio. My dad was TV and radio. And, and the irony is I always said I would never, ever, ever do what my parents did because I watched them work yep. to the bone. And it took me until maybe I'm 48 right now. So maybe I was 44 45, where it clicked. And I said, wait a minute. It was because they were essentially the only other black people in the building in leadership positions. And so when you're talking about the 1980s mainstream media, mm -hmm. they had to prove themselves. You know, it wasn't enough just to show up and do a, an okay or a neutral or even a good job, they had to be outstanding. So yeah, we were in the studio until midnight mm -hmm. and I was doing my homework and having nap time or like basically the beginning of a nighttime sleep at my dad, you know, yeah, my dad's feet basically. Um, and so yeah, of course, as a kid, I was like, I'm never going to do this. Right. But the irony is it seeped into me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how that works, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I come by my story work through my family. And then yes, later on through training and uh, being mentored. You know, did you always feel like, I feel like telling stories is that's not a gift to be trifled with. I, I know we all have them, but it's hard to, I mean, speaking from myself, I, I never feel like I'm a good storyteller. I always feel like somebody else needs to help me with that. So did that just come naturally to you? Yes. <laughs> um, because my dad, after he was a producer and a host, he became a minister. Mm. <laughs> so then I had to go to church on Sundays, every Love single that. Sunday. And again, begrudgingly, I'm like, I don't want to <sighs> be here really. Like this doesn't feel relevant. However, I, oh, it makes me tear up because he has, uh, you know, he's terminally ill now and he has dementia. However, I remember we would take this commuter train because it was a suburb um, where he was the pastor of this church. And I would watch him take like rough draft sort of notes that he had rumbling around for the week and finalize them literally like three hours before 
he had to deliver the sermon. And I, to this day, I'm like, you want to talk about pressure. I don't care how great of a storyteller you are. Like he's writing it out, like full on detailed three to two hours before he has to deliver it. That's a lot. Um, (laughs) But then the the irony is in my own storytelling practice, I have done that more times than I should probably admit. <laughs> I no longer do it that way because it's just too uh, chaotic. I, yeah. yeah, it's just too chaotic for me. I'd now. like to like think there was a spin on that where it was like, no, I'm just going to sit with this and, t- and, and think about it as long as I can until the last minute, you know, that would be the romantic way to look at it. Whereas it might've been like, nope, <laughs> no time Marco. for this. <laughs> You know what it is? It's the travel because I ha- I get on planes. It's still pandemic, you know, contrary to whatever belief, yeah. still pandemic times. And it's yes. like, if I'm going to throw or not throw, if I'm moving through the world to another place, I want the, the stories that I tell to be settled into my bones mm. before I hit the stage. Yeah. I want to give myself that kind of nervous system courtesy. Yes. Yeah. I think you can tell one can tell too Mm -hmm. when a story or when someone's prepared or very comfortable with what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do think often with stories, especially if they're, they're our own or a thread of our own, we're, we're remembering as well as speaking. That's right. That's right. Mm. But to be able to tell the stories of your ancestors or your culture um, and share those in a way that maybe not everybody has heard, it, I just find uh, so much importance in that. That feels so relevant to me. I just, uh, I well, let me tell you a, just a snippet of a story, not the full story. Um I just completed over maybe a week and a half ago, a residency, five-week residency in Oaxaca, Mexico. And I did this um, story dinner event that I call Story Feast. And it was the very first time in my practice that I actually pulled all of the threads together Mm -hmm. and wove them together and offered it to everyone at the table through this event. And so what I mean by the different threads is I collected two oral histories and I've done story feasts before. Let me back up and say that it's just that I, you know, artist residencies are a really great place for me to try new things with almost zero pressure or stress Mm -hmm. because it's not a commissioned project. I don't have a funder who I'm reporting to. I don't like it's, it's really, um, Everyone who's assembled is there with a spirit of generosity and also receptivity. Mm-hmm. And so I collected two oral histories all on the theme of love. I gave uh, snippets of the transcripts to the chef in residence, the, or, the um, artist residencies called Poco a Poco. And, and this wasn't new. I have done this in previous story feast, however, on the theme of love and not love, like just romantic love, but what I call love at large. Mm. Right. And so 
I, and the chef in residence, her name is Aurelia. She's become a dear beloved friend. We have our own tremendous, great love story of her teaching me through um, her gift of cooking and sly humor. And uh, just Aurelia is a fantastic person. Um, Wonderful. And so I gave her, I gave her the stories. I said, these are intimate stories. I'm not going to repeat them publicly. However, I want you to interpret these stories and help me create the menu of a three course meal with a bonus round for mezcal and organic wine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she did that. And then I told her what I learned about love from her because oh. she has a deep, beautiful path with her creativity and just life. And the day of the event, we had, I, I asked the Poco a Poco founder and uh, one of the directors, I said, I need a little help. Can you please, instead of having traditional um, sort of table uh, placeholders, I want the terms, there are these key words that kept coming up in each of the interviews again and again. They don't know it, but this is what has transpired from the transcripts. Here are four terms that have come up again and again. I want these four to be the placeholders for me, Aurelia, and the two narrators of the oral histories. Mm. And then there are terms that came up again and again in the individual oral histories, and that sort of filled out the rest of the placeholders, all on the theme of love, right? And so here we are, it's the day of the event. We have a DJ, <laughs> Fernanda, who's one of the poco a poco, what I call the mamas and the aunties, awesome. um, and a translator also, Fernanda. And it's the first time where I am telling my own story mm. to kick off each of the story prompts for each round that's a course, a meal course, right? So it's all woven together. Because my desire, my highest wish was that I would hear these love stories. We would all hear these love stories and basically be eating and drinking and metabolize it. Ugh. And I began it the way that I, you know, sometimes I get nervous. Many times I get nervous when I have to do storytelling. Generally, I'm not nervous as an oral historian conducting the interviews. Mm -hmm. And I have a sensory meditation that a therapist gave me. And so I said, I'm going to share, since this is part of my practice for myself, it really supports my nervous system. I used to have these out of body, like very scary to me, but very powerful to other people and the audience experiences yeah. when I would do keynotes, storytelling through keynotes. And you want to talk about very, very nervous. I mean, spend 20 minutes to an hour sharing stories with two to three to 400 people publicly and not remember a minute of it because it was an entire out-of-body experience. And so the only things that have helped me move away from that has been this sensory, like reconnecting with my body. If I can stay in my body and slow down, everything will be in the present tense for me mm -hmm. as I'm doing the storytelling. So I share, it's a super, like, I don't know, maybe it's like two, three minutes tops sensory meditation as basically the portion of the evening for the dinner that would be a prayer 
Mm, And so everybody who's, uh, we had a great um, documentary photographer, Paloma is her name. When you see the photos from that moment of the night, it looks like they are in some sort of reverence prayer. Mm. And I, I, I think maybe two thirds of the way through the dinner, people are sobbing. They're in tears. And I want to say like this caveat, that's not my end goal. I do want people to move emotions, Mm -hmm. to recognize what's already there and to do so in caring and kind community through, um, like I would say completion, not like completion of life, but just the container of, of that moment. And so all of that happens, we end with the toast and I am visibly shaken for the first time in a story feast environment. And I wondered why, mm-hmm. what, like what just, I mean, everybody else, you can tell like they've gone through the story arc, they've gone through this emotional cycle And I recognized that I had unzipped myself Uh and poured out my heart, my mind, my spirit. I mean, my body was out there too, because I'm eating and, you know, there's, it's Oaxaca, there's mezcal flowing. And it wasn't until three days later, a dear friend who I met at my very first story feast, we were artist residents at a place called Burnside Farms in Detroit. She said, Mijan, it's because I believe that your creative practice has become a spiritual practice and it's centered on ritual. And it's up to you to learn how to zipper yourself back up. That's your responsibility to yourself. You've been Mm -hmm. responsible to everyone else. And that's why you see that they're all zipped back up. You forgot to zipper your own self up. So Mm. it's a long-winded say, long-winded way to say, I I now understand my cultural work practice to be intertwined with ritual. Mm. I don't even know what your original question was. That was like, (laughs) I don't think there, I think it was, we were moving through it is what we were doing. I love that. But doesn't that make so much sense? Now in retrospect, yes. Especially when you talk about where these stories come from. And again, those threads and the histories of them that so much of it without us knowing is ritual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or may or you know we can think about the ritualistic practice of bringing these forward as well as the creative practice just the general storytelling nature of it but you know that ritual is an interesting word to stop and think about too, right? Yeah. Because um, that, you know, when you just think of the word, all sorts of things come to mind, but but to create a ritual out of what you were doing there at, at the story feast. And I mean, that was a beautiful ritual. It was mm-hmm. based on stories, but mm-hmm. so mindfully sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so do you think I have to go back to the zipped up part? Because do you think <laughs> I'm just gonna dig in? So um that the other people who were so open and and emotional about it then kind of contained it and and were able to go along and you didn't contain it, or were you saying the opposite? I'm saying that um I'm saying what you said to begin with, that they with an addition, they 
traveled the story arc. Mm-hmm. And so they came to the point of resolution and I was basically at the peak mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I had not resolved. So, well, there, I mean, you have to give yourself a little grace for the fact that you, you created this whole thing too. I mean, <laughs> they, you kind of led them in like, here's the beautiful feast. Here's your, you know, your word and here's the story. And then, but you were, you got to watch it all happen. Probably, you know, you can imagine it might go a certain way, but hopefully it went just even more beautifully than you had imagined. And and there's the emotion, you know, left over. That's a good point. And I've been thinking, you know, I, I, after I do different new things in my story practices, I kind of come up with an informal list of other folks who I might want to talk to. Mm-hmm. And one set of friends, I, well, not one set of friends. I have one friend in particular who's a sailor. Mm. And I thought about talking about all of this with him mm-hmm. because I kept thinking, you know, it's almost like I eventually reached very calm home seas where I could drop an anchor. However, as I was moving through it, I, it, the waters went a different way than what I anticipated and not in a bad way. Just, I didn't, I hadn't planned on that direction. I didn't know that it was going to be that profound for the people gathered as well as for myself. I didn't know that basically I, Oh, actually that same friend, um, Belle is her name. Uh, she said, you're a portal opener. Mm, mm -hmm. And so if, (laughs) it's not like that was the first time that uh, someone has said something like that to me. However, for that to be the first time that I was also moving through that portal (laughs) with everyone else, it's a little jarring. It's a little jarring because I'm like, no, I thought I was just pointing the direction. I didn't know I was actually (laughs) walking through it too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. And and, I mean, I would kind of think that it really worked then. It did. It (laughs) did. It did. I love that. I just, I just, well, kudos. I think that's, that's fantastic. And thank you. (laughs) Maybe it's the immersion that you had in a resident, at a residency or in a residency, you're, you you're allowed um, an immersion, like you said, and you're not necessarily answering to a, you know, there's no, the the expectation is different than it, than it could be in another sort of situation. And it's not product driven. Yeah, That's the other, I mean, I did talk to the founder and the co-directors about this because I said, you know, some residencies you do, you're, you are supposed to come to sort of this end stop point that you share publicly. I said from the jump, actually not even from the jump before I arrived, I will not be doing public programs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I am offering this one intimate story dinner and that's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do not Mm -hmm. look to me for a workshop or what, you know, and they said, okay, great. This is in support and service of what's going to be helpful for you and your practice. Wonderful. Mm. How, how, how it's generous. generous. Yeah, yeah. It's generous. So 
residencies and your, so what would you say your creative practices? Uh, there's the storytelling and generally that happens through hired keynotes. Um, there's the story collecting generally that happens as an oral historian, um, more and more, I'm responsible in the commission projects for curating the folks who I am interviewing um, exclusively. Mm -hmm. uh, last year's project. So 2022, I did a big commission with a national policy institute called Policy Link on California BIPOC liberation stories that ha had an amplification through public art. So in 2023, mm -hmm. there's a mural that will be produced in Oakland's Chinatown that amplifies two of the oral history narrator's stories. Mm -hmm. um, everybody who's driving on the interstate will be able to see it. And, uh, and they're available on Spotify, like an edited version. Um, there's listening notes, teaching notes for that, for the educators who want to engage in the materials in their classrooms. Um, and then sometimes, <laughs> uh, I am hired for public programs to be the interviewer and the curator, like um, also in 2022, towards the beginning of the year, there was a consortium uh, called Unfinished Network, and they hired me to kick off and to design their salon series on multiracial democracy. Mm. So with, yeah, it's, it's every year, I'll say it like this, every year, I design my year and I say, I want to do this, this, and this. These are some of the kinds of people I'd like to work with. These are the kinds of communities. And then I leave it up to the grace of the universe because I've never like advertised or, I mean, how would somebody advertise for this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, through word of mouth, strong work ethic and relationships, the commissions come to me. Mm -hmm. It's a niche sort of creative life. You know, I've got a good reputation. So yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. You have some good, good things behind you. But I think, I think too, niching is wise if we can figure that out. And, and sometimes I, I also feel like it comes if you don't think about it too hard, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. then you're just leaning into what you like and, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, it happens to be a niche. And I think too, you're, you're speaking into a time where more people are curious about more of these stories. Correct. I have a, my kid is a freshman in, in high school and he goes to a public arts magnet school. And when we went to the open house, um, this fall, his American history teacher said, well, we're not teaching regular history. We're teaching underrepresented history here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he came home and so it's, it, they were start, they started with, um, Puerto Rico and he was talking to me about like, well, here's what it would be if they were actually a state and, you know, all these things and, um, BIPOC and, and Asian history in the, in these states. And yesterday he came home talking about 
did you know President Lincoln? I mean, he, we all think he's this is so great what he did to free the slaves. But did you know that he wanted to send them all to another country? Like this is and I was like, yes, no, I didn't. And please, this is what we're talking about is the histories and the stories that we all heard a certain way. Um, You know, I, I like to. All right. I like to realize that this land that I'm sitting on, I'm looking out the window at water and at at land that's not very populated. And and this was not white man's land. You know, there I know there was a longhouse. I could have seen it from my window if if I was lucky enough to have traveled this land hundreds of years ago. And and so I'm so interested in what the foundations are of our of our lives because they're fascinating to me and 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 I I'd like to hear all about it and I and I think too um it must be really really interesting to gather to be the one who gathers those histories mm. and especially I mean I would think in the residency that's you get you getting to decide but in your work where you're working for a company or a corporation or somebody that is saying is tasking you to then that might be a different group of people whose stories you're gathering that you might not have you know knew you had to look forward to correct correct i, I and and there's um that exists on a spectrum some commissions they literally say this is choose your own adventure <laughs> Please, though, share the list so mm. that we know that they're the list of narrators. So we know that there's not a duplication or it's not an over ask mm -hmm. of this person's time mm. engaging in our institution. Um, that, yeah, that is extraordinary creative freedom that I am always grateful for. Always, always, always. It's also, though, a very big um, ask of my professional and personal intimate relationships, because the organization that, uh, trained me up at the very beginning and foundational level mm. is called voice of witness. And they have this term called chain of trust. Mm. And basically what chain of trust means is the oral historian interviewer is going to reach out to their ecosystem of relationships and say, hey, like, for example, I'd love to interview this person named Margot. Who knows Margot who could make an introduction mm. and let Margot know that this is a bona fide project, that I'm on the up and up, that I promise I am the legal steward of these stories and they're not going to go to some, you know, political faction that they're not aligned to like that basically. Mm -hmm. And so I have learned actually through last year's project, I said, you know, I feel aligned with policy links values. And now I understand why my entertainment contract attorney asked me when she generated the release forms for the project, she said, do you really trust this organization? Because we are in this agreement, um, the release forms, as well as my contract, I own all stories of the story projects that I conduct. Nice. However, I also, you know, it's gotta be a win-win. I give 
access. I give access to the commissioning organization. And, and so my attorney, you know, she just turned to me and she said, always remember that you've got to trust not just the people who are there right now, but who may come in the future. Mm. And I said, well, you know what? An organization like this, I think that we're in good shape. I feel good. I feel really good. I, I really deeply admire the founder. Um, and so I feel like I can say this to my narrators too. Mm-hmm. That said, one of my reflections, because I always do this internal audit of commissions at the end of the year. And I said to myself, Mijan, remember moving forward, I have to explicitly and implicitly trust the people who hire me. Mm-hmm. I just do <laughs> because otherwise it's too shaky. It's just, it's right. just potentially too shaky. Yeah. Now, if they're giving me a list of people who they're saying, go interview these folks, different story. Cause my reputation isn't on the line. I'm basically right. a hired hand. However, those aren't the projects that interest me and those right. aren't the projects that I do. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's true. There is that kind of giving over to it. It's a relationship you're entering into. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a heart contract really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like, um, it must, like, it takes everything out of you, some of these? Yeah, 100%. Um, I used to not understand how to um, provide, actually, I have a mentor, advisor, friend, sister friend who says, you know, you got to pregame it. (laughs) You got to pregame it. And even last year, because I had such a robust roster of clients. And because the work is so um, heart-centered and relational, and I would go to a narrator, you know, thinking, oh, we're just doing an hour-long interview. And the hour would turn into four hours because they'd want me to visit. And, you, you know, you can look at some of the folks I interviewed last year. It's like, these are some of our icons, the, yeah. yeah, especially elders. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I did design my year well, because I was spent mm-hmm. 1 million percent. And so when I say I designed my year, well, I came out of that, that last long-term project, that commission in California and I think I had a week and a half, which were the holidays. And the next thing you knew, I was in Mexico Mm -hmm. and I was in this lovely, well-hosted residency. So (laughs) I did, I, you know, I did well. And I, every year I say, okay, these are the aspects to refine. Here Mm -hmm. are the people to ask a little more mentorship and guidance. And, and also I'm giving myself a, a, a more slack and saying, and some projects, I I have enough theater folks in my life. My dad used to be in theater way back in the day. And it's like, there's a mourning, there's a grieving process that is totally natural, healthy, and attuned for the heart work that's happening. Hmm. Give myself time for that. Yeah. Yeah. And air around it. It's true. It almost goes back to your dinner where you felt still vulnerable and it's, it's, it's showing that you put your whole self into it. Correct. Which is 
a gift to those around you, I think. Mm. So tell me a little bit about your residencies, because those seem to be sort of the other (laughs) side of the coin for you and super important in your life, but a very like the scale tips the other way. I know. Like, who do you know who's traveling the world? The I love it. I'm signing Me. up. <laughs> it, I think everybody know, wants to know how to do that. I think that for me, it, it boils down to, well, let me back up last year. So last year, 2022, I did the Poco a Poco residency for the first time. And it was so transformative and the relationship so great mm. that, and I think because the surprise takeaway for me, one of many big ones was I learned how to romance my own life. Oh, wow. That's a big one. Yes. Doesn't that sound so luscious and beautiful? Yes. Like it's true. I learned how to romance my own life. I also learned how to work in a condensed period of time, because every day there's the ritual of going into the community kitchen, everyone eating together, mm-hmm. laughing, some people dancing and putting music on. Yeah. And it's an hour kickoff to the day. Ugh. And then having combined studio time for four hours before there being lunch like a late lunch. I never quite understood it. It's late lunch, early dinner, (laughs) whatever, whatever it's called. Another reason to gather. Yes. Another reason to gather over a beautiful meal. And so what I wound up doing was saying, well, okay, I'm going to get the things that are time sensitive and very important done in these four hours. And then I can do email cleanup after this lunch quasi dinner time. Mm. And then I need to be done with the day. Like I'm in Oaxaca for God's sakes. I'm in this beautiful residency. Yes. And so lo and behold, I'm like, wait a minute. Turns out I get a lot done in like a, I don't know, 25, 30 hour cluster of time in the week. (laughs) Turns out I really probably don't need to spend 50 or 60 hours a week doing who knows what, you know, it's like probably more of it checking Instagram than necessary. Anyway, anyway, my point is though, um, in that time I had this audacious thought and I said, what would my life look like if I spend the last week of this residency designing my 2023 And part of the foundation is spending almost half of the year in residencies and this month-long pilgrimage, walking pilgrimage called Mm -hmm. the Camino de Santiago. That's where the idea was born. Okay. And I said, okay, what would that take? And I'm like, well, you know, by the time I had done Poco last year, I think I had completed 10 to 15 residencies. Like I was well-versed. I used to be an executive director of an organization. I know how to do applications. It's not you know, a complicated matter for me. And so I said, okay, well then I just, I I follow the steps of pretending like my residencies are grants, you know, Um, and I'm just following a proposal calendar aligned though with where I want to be in the world Mm -hmm. and what projects I believe I might be engaged in because my, you know, every year follows a, an arc basically And I said, okay, how much vacation time do I need? When do I really need to be at home in Santa Fe? 
when will I need to be with family? Like, you know, I just jigsawed the year together. And when I got back to Santa Fe, I applied, I just did a, you know, (laughs) I, and I got into all the residencies that I applied for. Of course. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. But well, the intention was so well set. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I have going for me now. I understand Mm -hmm. alignment. Mm -hmm. I understand that I'm following my ethics that are, um, non-negotiable, yeah. <laughs> my values, yeah. you know, and, and I say to myself and I ask myself, okay, do I, at least on paper and from what I understand through mutual relationships or other people who have completed residencies at XYZ place, does it seem like there's resonance, mm-hmm. strong resonance, enough resonance? And if the answer is yes, that's where I applied. Fantastic. I think yeah, I think being audacious is is very important. And and it sounds like it was well placed and well done. So this one, Poco Poco that you just finished. Mm-hmm. So that one you'd done before. Are there yes. any others that you've done before? Two, two others that I have there are only two others that are repeaters. Okay. <laughs> the Banff Center in Canada, um, where I actually I loved it so much. Uh, I returned as faculty <laughs> for their cultural leadership nice. program. Nice. Um, I'm no longer faculty there and I haven't done a residency with them in quite some time. However, oh, it was outstanding. I, yeah. Ah, and, uh, there's where I'm actually faculty now. There's a large retreat center in upstate New York, Hudson Valley called Omega Institute. Yes. Let's talk and about that. Every year, not every year, however, I would say I've probably completed three or four residencies with them through their Women's Leadership Center. And I think the term women's leadership might um, might not invite or welcome all of the people who really have passed through and done residencies there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed there have been poets and musicians and, and it's, it's its own special residency because it's a one person at a time residency. You get your own cottage. You do wow. not cook a single meal. You do not clean. You, I mean, it really is to shore up one's energy to <sighs> rest, to reflect to ponder on life's questions, to walk down to the private lake, you know, (laughs) do you, I want to know more about Omega in a minute, but do you feel like to sign up for a residency or to, to suggest what you'd like to do Mm -hmm. that I imagine in the beginning would seem daunting. Like, well, what do I want to do? I, maybe I should be expected to do this this large body of work or produce this event or whatever it might be. When at the end of the day, it's collecting your thoughts, collecting other people, whatever it might be, you know, how, how do you figure that out? I, for me personally, and what I advise, I, I, you know, and also because I'm an oral historian who always ends every interview asking, what's the story of your future? What's the story of your future of your body of work? Mm-hmm. What's the story of the future of the communities that you come from and engage? Mm-hmm. And so for me, 
when I think of residencies, I ask myself and what I advise, where do I want to be on this timeline? Is it the work of my present mm-hmm. and, or is it this, you know, that same notion of cultural work? Am I pushing to the, you know, the edge? I have a friend, um, prolific artist, Rose Simpson, who says, Mijan, you're the skin of the bubble. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, am I, am I, am I moving to that place or am I occupying that place and saying, I really want this container of time and community and space for my practice and for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how I answer. That's how I come to the answer of that question. Is it about the present work that I've got going on that I know, you know, in the next six months, I will land in this residency space And I, at six months, I'm really going to have to turn in this many chapters or I'll be editing Mm -hmm. XYZ commission project or, or is it, oh my gosh, you know, it's nine months down the line and that's going to be a time that's going to be deep design work and deep visionary work and deep contemplation as I'm thinking through the next step in the body of my work or where am I going to be archiving and what funky thing do I want to do with that? You know? And it's nice too, to be able from one year to the next, look at that timeline and plan out. And then sounds like, you know, you've honed your, your planning and thinking to a point where you can look and say, I know this is my future timeline, at least for the next year. How will I refill my well? How will I, tune in to be the best, to ask the best questions or whatever is appropriate for that time. Correct. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. And I think you just said the the term that I have been searching for, refill my well, refill my cup, especially if I know I don't like to allow for my cup to become bone cracked dry. Yeah. I really don't. That's not a good sustainable choice or series of choices in life. Could crack. And exactly. <laughs> and that would be painful. Um, and it's just not necessary. That's what I've learned. You know, the closer I inch to being 50, the closer I'm like, oh, it turns out that if I want to live a few more decades, that probably is not the choice to make. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, residency. <laughs> oh, I just, I imagine many people listening are super intrigued. Residency. Mm. You know, I didn't think that that was a thing maybe I could do, but maybe it is. Yes, there are resident. I mean, I say there are residencies for virtually everyone. Not at the exact same time <laughs> yes. and not also for the exact same season of one's creative practice. I think that's something that I'm starting to understand more and more and more when we are in an emerging season or time of our creative practice, we probably need and will resonate with particular residencies and vice versa. They're probably looking for more emerging folks Mm -hmm. when we're in sort of the mid season. I think we have a different set of needs there, just like life, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And then what lights me up, I'm excited. The next residency I'm heading into is a place called In Cahoots. Mm-hmm. It's in the wine country of California. Oh. 
And there is one writer in residence, which is me. I'm always shy to call myself a writer. However, I do have a I think writing so. practice. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, and I have a book proposal to complete or well to revamp actually. Um, and there are, I think it's two or three printmakers at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a good combination that, that I love the creative cross training. Like yes. that's also one of my favorite things about residencies because for me, you know, I've got this really, I guess I get it from my dad, like active mind, active, creative thinking, design, questioning mind. And I saw the, they, well, not saw, they introduced us ahead of time. They just sent an nice. email maybe two or three weeks ago as a kindness and a care measure. And I looked and I said, oh, I see that this one is intergenerational. Mm. I'm curious about the person who looks a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it at this point in one's career that is resonant and attractive and enticing about artist residencies? Because I don't want to stop. I don't want to be that creative cultural worker in the future that says, oh, that was something I did when I was younger. Right. No. I don't think it has to be. I I think it's one of those things wherever we are in life, I find as I get older that I think to myself, oh, I thought this was older, but it's not, you know, I'm just, I'm still me as lively and curious and whatever that I was 10, 20 years ago. Look what a short amount of time that was. So when, you know, when we're younger and we look to the future, to that older, in air quotes, person, we think, oh my gosh. But then when we get a little older ourselves, it's like, oh, well, okay, (laughs) here I am still interested in these things (laughs) and not feeling like how I look in the mirror. So (laughs) that (laughs) Uh, I remember my mama was saying, oh my gosh, I look in the mirror and I see these wrinkles and I don't feel that way. And I remember thinking, well, you look that way, but now I now I can relate, oh, but I, I can't see you stopping was, oh, yeah, I hope not. I hope not. I want to find one that you're on and, and find my way there. I think that would be magical. I, here's what I propose. Okay. And I was thinking about this because I believe that this year is going to be so life altering. It already has started off tremendously. So. I would love to come back and have a conversation after the year has completed or is completing. Absolutely. I wonder what's going to happen. I just got the chills. I'm like, I wonder, yeah, yeah, I just wonder what's going to happen, especially as I'm mixing in that one month walking pilgrimage. I I haven't gotten to ask you about the Camino yet and I'm dying to. (laughs) When's that? When are you doing that? The fall. Okay. This fall with my, I mean, with a handful of girlfriends, however, with, um, one of my besties who God bless her autumn finished her last year of medical school at the beginning of this pandemic. Oh, so that meant, (laughs) I know I am too. Yes. And it meant that she did her residency through the entire pandemic. And so I said, we are celebrating you and we are marking this occasion of your graduation and becoming a full-fledged medical doctor. 
in during some of the most chaotic times in the trenches. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, and there are so many deep, beautiful things in my life and my practice that I wish to celebrate. And the bonus is that my daughter, my baby, uh, is studying abroad in Europe in the fall. And so perfect. I said, I'll drop her off <laughs> and oh, then we'll perfect. do the Camino <laughs> while you're there. Oh my gosh. So how many of you are doing the Camino? I think we will be about seven or eight. Oh, they, wow. And also Autumn is the only one who's going to do the entire Camino with me. Okay. The rest, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a commitment a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest are sort of meandering in the last two weeks. Lovely though. Oh yeah. gosh. Yes. Can we please? So well, let's do it after the Camino because yes. hopefully I'm, my intentions this year are very much to lean in to my own. Well, let's just call them the stories I've been telling myself and the stories that are actually there. Oh, you have the best look on your face right now. <laughs> because I, I just got the chills because I heard Lizbeth is uh, an archivist who's archived, I believe, not maybe not the entirety. I have to look back in the transcripts, the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And she said she sort that. of ended her oral history saying, now that she's reached this certain age, she's starting to recognize that the stories that she's told herself to be fact, she's able to question them and say, is that really true? Mm-hmm. But is that really true? You know, it's like, and that it was, I don't know, as simple as that statement is, that question is, it just flipped a switch for me where I said, wait, how much of my own life, you know, have I said, oh yeah, things are this way. Maybe yes, but also maybe no. <laughs> maybe no. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we genuinely thought that. But why did we think that? What made us think that? And then when you take that few minute meditation, which I need to know what it is, um, and you let yourself, you know, go to that place and you're like, oh, holy hell, that came from, I remember how I felt before that thing. And now maybe my story is a little different. Maybe I can look at that a little differently. Listen, I'm going to give you something that I I have this circle of sister friends and we trade what we have each learned in therapy the previous week (laughs) to maximize (laughs) the growth. I love that. (laughs) And the thing that I learned in therapy last week, that was such a rich question. My therapist threw out to me and I go to a somatic therapist and he said, Mijan, but what has changed since that was true X, Y, Z time in the past, has anything changed? Because maybe it was true when you were operating that way previously, but you really are living into a very different life by design. And maybe that's not true and won't serve you today and where you're headed tomorrow. And there's room for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I work with, I call her a healer. I'm not sure what she calls herself, but she'll remind me. I'll I'll be like, but wait, so then what? Like, what do I need to look at? And she'll re- <laughs> quite softly remind me, you get to decide. 
Mm. You get to decide, you know, so it's similar in that what questions are you asking and what, what are you saying is, is so, and maybe, maybe you get to decide. (laughs) You know, you just (laughs) trip me out more and more that this interview goes because I have this, who I trust so much. Uh, She's a seer, Mm -hmm. you know, she's like a fortune mm -hmm. or I shouldn't say fortune, but like a future teller. Mm -hmm. And this, what, maybe a month ago I said, and I, I can, I'm so excited to be able to, the next time we have our recorded discussion, it will already have been announced. I Mm. am not allowed to announce it yet. There are two deep honors in my midst right now. And, and I was telling her because she said previously, oh, you know, 2023, you're really going to be at home. (laughs) It's a very introspective time. And, and she just kept talking about home and home. And I said, you know, I I sent her a text and I said, well, I got these two things. And she replied back a very long text message and said, I can no longer read your future for the next few years. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? I'm like, what is this? What did she mean by that? She can't see it. It's going a different direction. And it's going the direction of probably whatever I am co-creating with the invisible hand. Yes. Oh my goodness. Can't wait to talk to you again. (laughs) Oh, live into it. Lean into it. Walk Mm -hmm. on. Oh, Mm -hmm. I literally walk on. Yes. yes. (laughs) So next you're going to, to the Napa Valley or right. Is that where you're going? Petaluma. Petaluma. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's where I grew up. Get out of here. What? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. So I will be imagining you there. It sounds like it will be wonderful. And there's there's so many more things we could talk about. Well, but we'll save it because otherwise people will be like, <laughs> I've painted my paint. I've been working on this piece of art for seven hours. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, I'm just I'm so so honored to know you. And I I do. Every once in a while, there's somebody that comes along and you just think, click. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. So for those of you listening, there's, there's a lot to learn about you. And there's, there's a lot of stories to hear. And I love being able to, those of us who, who ask other people, their stories don't always have the opportunity to talk about our own. So Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to, to be able to eke some of that from you today. Mm, thank that, you. That feels really good. This was a generous interview. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you Wonderful know, conversation. Thank you. I really do. Um, you know, before we, before we pressed record, you were saying, you know, what's this going to be like? And, and <laughs> I never really know. I mean, I, I do come with thoughts and questions, but usually, and even more as I go through this work myself, it's, it's just like, what we're, we're just here to share what's important to us. You know, I think. Yeah. To that point, can you tell me who's inspiring you these days? Oh gosh. I mean, still Octavia Butler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. What a visionary. Uh, uh, so I, I pick up these perennial reads every year. And there's always an Octavia Butler book that that I return to. 
um, still to this day. However, in new ways, I have a, uh, I have several mentors. I'm blessed and grateful for that. One of them, though, my oral history mentor is Dr. Amy Starcheski, mm. and I am deeply inspired by the community of oral historians for social change mm. that she curates, um, weaves wonderful relationships between resources, mm. engages. Uh, yeah. That's such important work to gather those. <laughs> I mean, I, it, I, it's, it, I, I'm excited. I get to see her, um, on this next trip that I'm taking and I, I, I'm like, this has to be, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to offend or push off any of your listeners. And I'm like, it's gotta be the creator's work. It really mm -hmm. must be because it's that special and yeah. gifted. Um, those are, those are two deep inspirations to tell Perfect. you the truth. Yeah. Perfect. Oh. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned I was going to come back to Omega. And I almost forgot. Tell me a little bit more about what's happening. Cause I, for every once in a while, go and read what they're offering and just think, oh, sounds remarkable. It's a renowned, um, quite established retreat center. And I am faculty. This year, I'll be teaching creative living through residencies, finding mm. and engaging in artistic communities. It's just for the weekend. And it's, it, yeah, it's this opportunity for me to share and hopefully ripple out through people. One of my favorite aspects of the creative ecosystem of being a creative and a cultural worker, landing in these amazing communities, these residencies, um, I recognize even with, it, it seems like it's the emerging and it's also the mid-career creatives who say, wait, what? Mm. Residencies are for me. And it's like, yes. Not just for the fancy pants visual artists that for whatever reasons, I don't mm -hmm. know why, maybe historically, that's what people sort of toggle together when they hear artist residency, that you have to be this fancy visual artist. I am quite sure that that is the case for certain residencies. However, there are many that are interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. Poco a Poco in Mexico is open for creative thinkers, researchers, thought leaders, academics, designers, and yes, of course, artists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, when is this wonderful weekend? Uh, it's the last weekend in June, specifically <laughs> June 30th to July 2nd. Okay. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> I had to say that so I'm thinking it. Like, obviously you can see my head, my wheels spinning. Yes, yes I see you. <laughs> So tell everybody how to find out more about that and then where to find you. Sure. Um, so the website is eomega.org. Uh, you can scroll through the online catalog and register there. And then my site is mijansali.com. I'm on Instagram. I usually tell a story of the week or every other week about my practice there. Uh, and then I do a monthly, but it's not, it, I'm like, let me not lie on your show. I don't do a monthly <laughs> letter, 
I try to do a monthly letter. That so makes me feel better. I mean, I'm just saying, and I feel like let us all stop lying about the monthly letter. So it's basically like nine ish field reports that go out in a year. I think that's perfect. Cause honestly, I think those should be as the spirit moves when there's yes. something to say. Yes. Cause that's and when, when I want to read it. You know, the other thing, like if I can just put a gospel out there and when it's time to rest, rest from everything. Don't even pre-do a newsletter. Like just truly rest. It's okay. Listen to the, listen to what's being asked and do it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect thing to, to, to pause on. Well, (laughs) so I'm very excited about Omega. Thanks for sharing that. And everybody go check it out. I, I just am, am grateful for how you show up in the world, the work Mm -hmm. you're called to do and are willing to do. And for those of us to get to learn a little bit more about you and those that you have, whose stories you have told. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) You're a gift. This is too. And I can't wait to talk to you and see where this is all going. And (laughs) to be, to be able to say deep heartfelt congratulations for those things we don't know about yet, but (laughs) Thank you. Obviously lovely and important. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I will see you back here after you walk for a month and spend nine months away (laughs) from home and all the things. Yes. (laughs) Perfect. We will see you again. Yes. And I look very forward to it, Mijan. I do too. Thank you, Margo. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.